Now see, that's what I want from all of us as a church, that excitement to pursue God like that. Like, I'm off. I'm ready. Let's go. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We have a lot we're going to cover today. Um, I'm very excited to finally get to the section of Scripture telling us what love is. We've been kind of working our way to this point. Um, This morning we're going to take one verse um, out of the few here that are describing of love, and we're going to kind of get into some of the some of the details if you will of what love look, looks like if i was to ask you what love looks like we've talked about this for the last few weeks here um, most people on this earth will have a different perspective will have a different view of what that is um, if you were to ask the average person on the street what does love look like to you they will have a different answer than the person next to them or beside them We have a problem many times in the way that we view love because our view of love is very much defined by how we've been brought up. And and what do I mean by that? If I was to give you a perspective of God that is a loving God and your perspective of your parent is not one of love, your view of love will be very tainted. There are a lot of people when they come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, they don't see God the Father as a loving father simply because they have never experienced or seen that in their own lives. So as we've been working through uh, the text here in 1 Corinthians 13 and, and, and looking at 1 John previously, we saw last week that life can be lived without love, but many assume that it is love. There are a lot of things you and I can do without love that we assume is love. Uh, you can give to others without love and assume that you're being loving. You can sacrifice of yourself to the point of death and still do that without love. That's what scripture clearly tells us in the beginning of chapter 13. And as we hit these next verses, we're going to see that God specifically lays out for us what it is that love looks like. What it is that love actually looks like. You know, this week, you know, we're going to be looking at the divine Agape love and what it looks like from the Father to us and how He wants us to live it out. You see, we're going to dive into this chapter and stop to think through the implications of each description of love that is mentioned. You see, many times I think we find it easy to explain love without really understanding it. What do I mean by that? Uh, How many of you have ever heard the term, if, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? And then to love your neighbor as yourself. They're they're very plain implications that we throw out there. But many times we don't exactly know what we mean by that. And what I mean by that, you ask a person, what do you mean by loving God with all your heart? Most people will tell you that they know they're not doing it. Right? Like, if you were to ask somebody, are you loving God with all your heart? Uh, I'm not. So you know you're, you're deficient, but then the question is, how do we make sure we're doing that? And I think that's really what we need to do as we look at this chapter Do we know that we are loving the way that God wants us to if we don't stop and pay attention to what he says about it? Do you see how easy it is for us to throw terms out there left and right and then not really come to the conclusion that God wants us to come to? It's very easy for you to tell your children something and you mean something different than what they think. Has that ever happened to you as a parent? Have you ever given your child instructions and you said, hey, I need you to do this tomorrow? And they completely misunderstood And they did something completely different. And you went back to them and said, didn't I tell you this is what I wanted to get done? Didn't I tell you tomorrow I want you to take out the trash? What part of 
you did the dishes but didn't do the trash that you're not getting. Anybody ever have that happen? Maybe I'm the only one in my own household that's experienced this. You see, we give instruction to our children expecting them to understand what we mean by that. And God does the same thing with us. See, a lot of, a lot of things that we try to overcomplicate are really not that complicated in the Word of God. There are things that I believe are complicated, let's say, discussing the Trinity. They're going to take some time for you to really understand and, and really dig into. Or, or things like election. Or things like um, God's plan of salvation throughout human, uh, human history, if you will. Those are things that are going to take you some time to understand and grasp. Or, or prophecy that's been fulfilled and unfulfilled. That'll take some time. But when it comes to the practical implications of love, God is pretty clear to us. He doesn't hide um, he's not hiding his word and going, I want you to figure it out on your own. He gives it to us plain and clear and straightforward, and yet many of us, we miss the obvious. Have you ever read the Bible and missed the obvious? Like, you've read the text many times, you've read the verses many times, you've heard the verses many times, and then for some reason a light bulb goes off one time that you didn't have go off for years, and you've read that text easily ten times by now. You see, I think that's what happens even when we look at texts like this. We're so familiar with it, we hear it quoted at weddings. I actually went to a wedding yesterday, and they had this chapter just laid out as the, the bride and groom are going, going down the aisle. And I thought that was brilliant. It was excellent. Um, and, and, you know, we, we quote this, but we don't stop to think through the implications of what that word means and take the time to pause in what Paul is telling us the love looks like. This agape divine love. You see, the sad part for many of us is that we tend to look at other people in a way that many times is skewed simply because we think that we love better than they do. You see, most people, whether they like to admit it or not, they tend to give themselves a better scorecard than other people. There are very few people on this earth that are, that are typically always looking at others being better than themselves because even those that are, how can I say this, um, Miserable in life, they, they view that like everything in life is bad and you know, they, they have a bad, miserable experience. They still find a way to blame others for it. It's not typically because it's their fault. It's typically because it's someone else's fault. You know, and, and, and it, it boils down to sometimes simply somebody didn't say something they should have said at the right time in their life or they left them hanging. And, and let's be real for a second, folks. We leave people hanging all the time, do we not? We do, right? You know, we, we leave our kids many times starving for attention, parents, and we're busy with other things. We, we find ourselves um, passing the person in our church congregation and going, hey, how you doing? And then just kind of moving on to what we want to do without really having to stop and, and actually have a conversation and understand and connect with what's going on in their lives. Love calls us to a lot more than that. And my goal really is not to... Um, throw out all the implications that I would like us to do better as a church, I want the Holy Spirit to work that out in your life. So there are going to be specific things that as we go through this, that God's going to be like, you know, you're not doing this well. You need to work on this right here. And my goal as we start this, and I'm going to be very direct on this, like, don't look at someone else and how they're lacking in love and how you're much better in this category than they are. Or, you know, this description fits me, but they're, they're not like that. You know, you need to understand that each one of these things you're going to be stronger or weaker on, okay, as we go through the different descriptions of love. And you need to be willing to own what is your weak spot 
and let others own their weak spot, okay? Because everybody has their tendency. You know, some of us were very um, outgoing, so certain things in love are very easy for us to do. We're, talk, we're going to talk about that. And then there are some, some of us that we're more closed off. We don't say much. We say very little. We, we, we say, you know, actions speak louder than words, so I'm just going to have actions. And sometimes we need to speak. And those of us that speak a lot need to speak less. So there's going to be those things that God's going to show us here in this text that we need to do differently. One thing I will, I will mention right off the bat, um, if I was to ask, what is it that God calls you to in your life to do tomorrow, what would you say? What is it that God calls you to tomorrow, this week, coming up? What would you say to that question? What would your answer be? What would you expect that God would expect from you? You see, God speaks to each person individually and also speaks to us as a, as a church and a congregation. The sad part is a lot of us want to have God tell everyone else what they should be doing, and we don't want to hear from Him directly ourselves. So what, what t- typically happens in the average Christian home? We come to church on Sunday, uh, we dress our Sunday best, we, we've gone through the week, we've gone through our ups and downs, you know, life is an ebb and flow, you've got the, the good days, the bad days, the not so good days, the great days, you know. All over the place, right? I mean, I'm sure if, if we were to go back and take a snapshot of last week, we'd see it all, right? And then you come to church on Sunday, and you have this reminder from God's Word again of what it is that you need to be living out. And can I stress that that is not the normal Christian life that God wanted for us? What God wanted for us, those of us that are followers of Jesus, is for us to hear from Him every day and not wait for Sunday. And sadly, too many Christians are waiting for the next, if you will, great sermon or great you know, lecture that they're going to hear or great book they're going to read. And God's going, I got you today. I have something for you today. You don't need to wait till tomorrow. If you have the Bible, you don't need to order another book on Amazon in order to hear from God. Like, many of us, we, we, we glean a lot from other preachers. I do. But I know that other preachers are still not going to be what God gives me directly. There's nothing better than hearing from the source directly. That would be the equivalent of having a family and your sibling asks how your parent is doing... And you never ask the parent directly, and you're always asking the sibling, how is dad doing? Um, He's right there. Why don't you go ask him? Why are you ignoring him? You see, that's what really happens in the Christian experience many times. We're asking someone else to connect with the Father on our behalf when God the Father says, I'm available. I've already spoken, and I can speak to you today. What are you waiting for? As we open this text, I want you to understand this is God's divine love that he wants you to live out. This is not Pastor Roman's definition of love. This is God's definition of love. So as we look through this, I want you to take it from him directly, and I'm just the messenger boy. Okay? I'm not not the one that's come up with this concept. Frankly, I could never do anything better than this. He's got the best definition of love that you and I can find because he is love himself. He's this love exemplified to us. You see, 
If God is love and he's told us what love looks like, then he has the right to define what it is. He has the right to define what it is. You see, there are a lot of other resources we use. I mean, and, and we've used them even in this church, you know, the five love languages, love and respect. They're all beneficial. Okay, I'm not knocking any of those things. Uh, but if you're using them apart from the word of God, it, it's just not going to be a good replacement. It's just not. Uh, any material outside of the Word of God is only as good as it connects back to the Word of God. Okay? Because man is flawed and we're skewed and we have our own views and we let the world influence our perspective on something without realizing we have. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that once we get into the discipleship series on that. But one thing I do want to point out, Augustine said this point right here. He said, there's no gift of God more excellent than love. It alone distinguishes between the children of the everlasting kingdom and the children of the everlasting perdition. You see, Augustine understood that love lived out God's way determines whether a person has followed God's plan or they followed their own. You see, the sad part in the church today is we are finding our definition of love from everyone else and not asking God what he thinks. And we're going to talk about that throughout. There's going to be some areas that I know are not going to be as easy to walk through. But I think they need to be. And they need, we need to be honest about what the word says rather than what we would like it to say sometimes. Um, but here we go, really quick. Contextually, you need to understand that this church that Paul is writing to had a lot of problems. The Corinthian church had a lot of problems. They had scandals going on, division. People had their personalities that they had to kind of you know, show off to other people. It never happens in our church, I know. I'm sure it never happens in our church. You know, people had to sit there one-up somebody else. Um, they had to talk bad of someone else so they look better. You know, the typical church problems that many churches experience. This is not exactly a church you'd want to exemplify. But Paul here in 1 Corinthians 13 says, hey, there's a better way. There's a way to live it in love. Paul actually calls out the church for its tolerance and celebration of sin. This church actually tolerated things that even in our modern context we probably wouldn't, wouldn't tolerate sometimes. But what's amazing is Paul, in love, calls them out for it. We're going to see that love does not mean silence, okay? Those are not synonymous. Don't assume that if somebody is loving, that means they're silent. That is not at all what love looks like. In fact, love is an action. And in this chapter, these are verbs that are used. You know how it says love is kind? In the Greek, it's an action. It's not just a description. So there's something that's being done. On, on behalf of love. So, really quick, what are some dis the descriptions that we're going to look at of divine love? We're not going to go through all 15 today. I'm just going to break these out for you. Number one, patient with others. We see that in verse 4, the first part. Number two, useful to others. The second part of verse 4. Not jealous. The third part of verse 4. Does not show off. The fifth part of, uh, fourth part of verse 4. Not proud, fifth part of verse 4. Not rude, verse 5. Not self-focused, second part of verse 5. Not easily angered, third part of verse 5. Does not keep score, another part of verse 5. Broken by injustice, verse 6. Thrilled with the truth, rejoices in the truth. Suppresses others' flaws. Verse 7. Believes the best. 
stands assured. And 15 does not give up. Does not give up. We're going to look at the ones that are found in verse 4 this morning. Because I wanted to kind of break it down more cleanly so it's easier to follow through. Um, you, can, you can combine some of these so if someone has a list that's a little bit different, as long as you're covering what the text says, I don't, you, know, you can merge a few of them together. I'm sure I've seen a few different preachers merge a few of them together. Uh, but for the most part, this is really the breakdown. The number one, what we're going to look at today is patient with others. Verse 4, starting off, it says, Love suffers long. Love is patient with others. The Greek meaning is plainly, guess what it means? To put up with. You mean the Bible says to put up with people? Yes, it does. That's what love looks like. Now connect this to divine love, and you start seeing a picture that's more clear. Is God not putting up with us many times? Did he put up with you blowing up on someone last week? Because you didn't have your coffee that morning? Did he put up with you having enough when somebody irritated you to no end? Or when your child asks the same question 20 times and you've given them the same answer 20 times? Right? Does God not put up with us? Every day. You see... Forgiving more often than one may have the natural capacity for is what this looks like. You see, agape, unconditional love, forgives to a level that natural human love cannot. There's a reason why this love is what's necessary in a marriage. We're going to talk a bit bit more on some of the other descriptions later on. And the romantic love is just not going to cut it. Because here's the the thing, folks. Our feelings are all over the place every day. That's why you hear songs like, I loved her Friday, she hates me today. You know, those kind of songs. You have that. Why? Because our feelings are all over the place. This love is requiring us to go and connect with God who is this love. This is not a love you and I naturally can live out. This is a supernatural love for a reason. You see, God can show you and I how to live this love out because he is defined by this love. Does that make sense? Like, if you define the word, you get to tell others what it means. We also know that God is defined by being good. So guess who gets to define good? God does. You and I don't get to define that. He does. And that's why it's important when you see this this phrase being used, love, love suffers long, is patient with others, you need to be constantly reminded that that is going to have to start with you understanding what it's like when God deals with you. You see, if you start on the human level, you're never going to understand this love. It's going to look ridiculous to you. What do you mean being patient with others? I'm already patient. I gave him a second chance. Imagine if God gave you only two chances. How many of us would not be out of here instantly? No church in existence here. Congratulations. That includes all of us, right? And sadly, that's the problem with a lot of Christian perspective on love. We give people a certain amount of chances and we say, that's it, it's over. And we don't forgive anymore. We grow in bitterness. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. 
There's a problem in the church today that people don't understand this word forgiveness because they don't understand how patient God has been with them. You see, another way that we can look at what it means to be patient with others is holding back retaliation that may be deserved. You realize people did Jesus wrong and he could have called angels down to take care of them? You see how Jesus is exemplifying this kind of love towards us and to his enemies and says, you know, I could just send down angels right now and you're smoke. You're done. You don't even have a chance. And he says, legion. So, you know, one centurion, thousand angels. Guess who wins that one? You see, this is really the reason why you and I need to be constantly reminded of what's been done on our behalf, else we won't live this love out. In fact, 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, to those that are his children, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Folks, you need to be reminded of how patient God is with you. You have to be. Else you can't live this love out. You're going to be short with people all the time. Now, are we going to still blow it? Of course we are. But you need to go back and own the fact that you're not patient with others. You're not putting up with others. Now, let me put this as a side note. That does not mean that you tolerate whatever behavior around people. Okay? Like, I just need to make sure I clear that up because some people then they go off to an extreme on it and go, oh, that means I just need to tolerate whatever's going on in front of me. No. If somebody's doing something inappropriate, you need to exit and leave right away. Okay? You don't tolerate that. The point is you're patient with them in knowing that an unbelieving person is going to act like an unbeliever. Okay? Like that, that shouldn't shock you that you know, people don't hold your view on abortion if they're not a Christian. It shouldn't shock you. It shouldn't be like, oh my goodness, how could they not? It shouldn't shock you. This is something that is so critical to understanding unconditional love because there are so many things that you and I are going to look differently than other people at and if we don't understand that God's been patient with us, we're going to lack that patience with others. Look, if you're a smug, self-righteous person that's coming down with condemnation on everybody, you'll never reach anybody with God's love, ever. You're going to look just as bad as the Pharisees. And what's even worse is you're going to assume you're not one. Ephesians 4, 2 through 3 says this, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Folks, patience needs to happen in the church. This is an area Pastor Rizzo reminded me of a lot when I was here, under his leadership. He used to tell me all the time, he says, Roman, you need to be patient with people. Where you're at today does not equal what somebody else is at currently. And some people take a lot longer to get it, if you will, than others. And me, I'm one of those go-getters like, wake up! Look! You're wrong! And he goes, stop. That's not going to help. Pray for them, remind them, encourage them, warn them. But shaking and stirring them up is not going to help the situation. You see, the problem is, I think many times in the church, what we've done is we've guilt-tripped people into response rather than using love to be the reason they do something. 
You see, the reason why we were attracted to Jesus was not because God was harsh with us, but because he was kind and gentle and patient with us. And yet Christians are sometimes the most impatient people with others. Somebody comes to the Lord and we instantly want them to be in the next Bible study, reading the Bible faithfully, making sure they reach other people within a span of a week. How many of us are that consistent ourselves? How many of us have the zeal of sharing Jesus with others that we would want the new believer to have? How many of us are consistent in our own family devotions that we would want others to be consistent in? You see, it's easier said than done. In fact, Paul makes this statement, and you don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to read this really quick. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now check this out. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ may display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You see, Paul got it. God waited on me so that he could demonstrate to others that he's patient with them. You, believer, need to be patient with others because God was patient with you. You see, most of our church is filled with believers that got saved later on in life. You realize that God is patient? And that's why you've come into the fold later in life? Parents, we need to be patient with our children in raising them. I know we all want the results quick. But let God work in their life. You be consistent. You be loving. But let God work in our children's lives. Be that example to them that they would need to follow. Number two, useful to others. Love suffers long and is kind. Kindness has a different tone to it if you looked at the word and actually saw how it's used throughout scripture. It is not a warm feeling, but an act. We're going to talk a little bit about the difference between being nice and being kind. Though not the same thing, folks. Okay? There's a lot of nice people on this earth. They're not kind. We're going to talk about that. An intent to be helpful to someone else is really what kindness is. An intent to be helpful to someone else. It's stepping out and solving a problem or meeting a need. You see, kindness is different from being nice, though many use the terms interchangeably. Nice has more to being agreeable with somebody so you don't hurt their feelings, while kindness is showing them love by being helpful and meeting a need that they may have. So what are some of the differences between being nice and being kind? Okay? Being nice is about how we are perceived with no care for the individual. You realize a lot of our human existence is people being nice. Just trying to get along just to exist. This is what our, um, 
our politicians strive to tell us it's important? Reach across the aisle. Oh, really? Being nice publicly as if that means kindness is not the same thing. Why? Because kindness is out of a deep concern for the other exclusively. Do you see how they're different? One cares what you think of me, and the other one says, you know what, I ultimately care what would be beneficial for you, and that's why I'm doing this for you. Being nice will give others what they may want to hear or feel. Have you ever done that? I mean, let's ask ourselves. Have you, have you ever just said something to somebody that you knew was kind of like a fraudulent statement, but you just wanted them to feel good? So you're just like, oh, I missed your brother. I missed your sister. I really liked you. I really missed you not being at church the other week. But you're just being nice. You don't really care. Nobody struggles with this. Like, I, I, I hate that I'm a hypocrite in this one. I really do. I mean, it's, it's, it's live stream. So there you go, Pastor Roman admitted. Yes. You see, the problem is, is being kind is out of a deep concern for the other exclusively. You see, this is an area God has convicted me a lot of, the last year especially. I used to be nice to people, and I didn't understand what kindness was because I never saw the difference well. When someone's not in our presence that we want around us, Our goal isn't to just butter them up to get around us again. Our goal should be genuine concern for them as to why they're not part of the fellowship. Let's say they're outside the church. That's what kindness looks like. Kindness is not looking down at them because they're not faithfully walking with God when you are. Kindness is literally looking at them and saying, look, I want to be a help to you because you're struggling here. Being nice leaves them in that ditch that they're in and saying, I hope you're doing fine, brother or sister. I love you. Do you see how that's not love? Leaving somebody where they are is not love. We see that very clearly illustrated in the Good Samaritan parable that we all know very well if we've grown up in church, right? There are people that go, they see the need, and they keep going. They have things to do, places to go. You see, one of the struggles that you're going to have as a believer constantly is whether to be nice or to be kind. And you're going to have to make that decision all the time. Am I going to be nice right now or am I going to be kind? Kindness sometimes requires you to say something you might not want the person to hear, but they need to. Because it would be a help to them. Being nice only butters them up for more disaster later. And sadly, a lot of Christians care more about being nice than being kind and sadly that's why the church isn't what it should be we should be firm on truth but kind does that make sense you could stand for something and still be kind being nice is selfish being kind is selfless you have a decision to make all the time Which one am I going to be today? I don't want them to be upset with me, so I'm going to be nice. Easy to do. Easy to do. You know what's a whole lot harder? Out of the kindness of your heart, doing something for them that they themselves don't even realize they need. Let me give you a for instance, just to be a little more 
particular on this point. A brother or sister struggling in their faith. They're not walking faithful with God. Being nice just tells them it's great to see them. Being kind goes further and tries to address what it is that they're lacking in their walk with God. And telling them, hey, this would be a benefit to you if you came to this study, or if you read this, or if you came and fellowship with us. Do you see how there's a difference there? One cares more about perception from them. The other one cares for their well-being. God was kind towards us. He wasn't nice to us. Can it have some of that tint to it, being nice? Yes. But kindness is deeper. You see, God cared for our deepest need. And that's why he sent Jesus. What does it say? He came to the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, right? So God's not condemning us because he's already, he already knows we're already condemned. He sends us Jesus out of the kindness of his heart so that we can understand what love looks like. Jesus was kind, not nice. Do you read some of his statements to some of the hypocrites that he dealt with? They weren't nice statements. They didn't crucify Jesus because he was a nice guy. They didn't. He was kind, compassionate to those around him. But he stood firm on truth. And that's what you and I have to have the proper balance when it comes to love. Remember, love is patient with others. Guess what you attach to that? Kind. Put those two together. That's a lot to live out, folks. You mean I have to tolerate a lot from others? Yeah. And I have to somehow input something that would help them? Yeah. It's not one or the other. It's both. You need them both. You're going to keep building on that in this chapter. You can stand for something and still be kind. I'm not sure that God wants us picketing places of sin with a nasty attitude towards them. Nor do I think that it would be great for us to be nice to people and never tell them that they're wrong in sin. Both extremes are unbiblical. And yet, the church kind of goes back and forth on the extremities. And God's going, no, there's a balance in the middle. I've exemplified that through my sending of Jesus Christ on your behalf. I told you you were a sinner, but I've been kind enough to give you a solution to this problem. I'm not leaving you hanging. God did not leave us hanging when he sent Jesus Christ. Some of us just need to tell others the truth rather than just being nice. Some of us are just too nice sometimes in our church. You know, I'm I'm, I'm going to openly say something that probably has bothered me and I I should probably have mentioned this before. But as, as, as your pastor, I do have a personal request, folks. Okay? And um, some of you are offended by this. I apologize ahead of time. It's not meant to offend. It's meant to be honest and truthful. Um, if you can't attend church, if you can't be here on Sunday, I would rather you not be nice. I'd rather you tell me the truth. I didn't want to come. I've had a few people in this church that have done that. I don't feel like coming that week. I prefer that, and I I think God approves of truth more than a nice lie. 
So I'm asking that we be truthful with one another. That's what Scripture actually encourages us. If you read through the book of Hebrews, it talks about that specifically. Paul talks about it in his books, putting away lying, every man speak truth to his neighbor. Folks, I'm going to be kind towards you in response if you don't do something that God expects from you, because that's what God calls me to, and I should be that way. I'm going to do my best to not just be nice moving forward. Um, and some of you are like, well, you're not nice anyways, Roman. That's fine. That's fine. My, my, my point is, my point is, there is a difference, and I think we need to exemplify it correctly. I would rather be told the bitter truth than a nice lie. And I think the world needs more bitter truth than nice lies from us. You don't need to be rough. You don't need to be pounding them with the Bible and hammering them with it. You can be kind, but tell them that they're wrong. You have to do that also with your children, parents. You need to tell them out of kindness where they're wrong. And sometimes being nice is just not going to help Junior get it. There's discipline that's involved. You can still discipline out of kindness. Do you realize that? God is a gracious and kind God to us who still disciplines us because he knows what's best for us. And we need to be that way with other people. Not just being nice so we don't have them think bad of us. Because here's something I want to be... be perfectly clear on. When I was growing up, I don't know if you had had this experience. I had what I called the nice teacher. They were friends with everybody. Everybody liked them. And then I had the firm but kind teacher. The one that stood on principle, but they were kind and gracious as well. Like they knew when we were idiots and they let us know politely, stop it. And then you have others that would blow the gasket all the time that you just never really care to be in their class or be around them. Now looking back, as I'm an adult now, I look back and I see all the people that have impacted my life, and I go, goodness, if I was to really nail one thing in a lot of those people's lives is that they were kind. They were kind. That doesn't mean that they were nice all the time. I remember days they blew up. But they went back and and out of kindness address the issues and would go back and own it and they weren't there just to be nice they were there because they had a concern for us growing up and folks I want us to be more than a nice church I want us to be a loving church that has kindness at its forefront that means that we look out for one another and we care for one another in the way that God wants us to. That means speak the truth, not nice lies. In fact, Luke 6.35 says this, But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to who? To the ungrateful and the evil. Do you realize that God still does what's best for people that don't love Him back? You realize that God has millionaires that never give him any credit for, that he continually blesses? And they don't deserve it? Because sometimes, what Proverbs actually tells us is pretty incredible, the rich, those that God blesses, many times, they, that money trickles to those that are God's own. 
I don't know if you realize this, there are many people throughout history that God has blessed and he's been kind to that have been a, a blessing to the church and to the Jewish people and they didn't even realize they were that blessing. If you research history and what happened in Nazi Germany, you had people that didn't even know God that were a blessing to his people. And sadly, this is what I think happens with us as believers is we don't take the time to realize that love has a kindness to it that many of us don't exemplify. Another verse, Ephesians 4.32, a reminder of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Do you realize how much you and I would understand kindness if we went back and realized how God has been kindness, kind towards us? Number three, love is not jealous. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not burn with envy towards others. Being envious or jealous means to boil for what others may have for positions of leadership, job status, giftedness in the church, relationships others may have. Love may be called something it's not in the church for one reason. Love may be called one thing in the church that it isn't. And that right here we see is a yearning and desire for something that God has given someone else. Does God want us to desire the best gifts? Does scripture actually tell us that we should desire the best things that God has for us? It does, right? But here's the worst part. is many of us, we desire the best things that God doesn't want for us. We want the best things for what we want, not what he wants. Do you see how those are different? You and I could desire the best things, but they may not be the best things that he wants for us. They may be the best things we want. I am out of time. Goodness gracious, time has flown today. Love is perfectly content to be where it is, but realizes there may be more attained. Love realizes the danger ahead if envy or an intense negative desire for the other is part of the picture, where there's bitterness, strife, and division. Here's what Proverbs has to say on this. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. You see people that are depressed and hurting, many times it's because of envy. Scripture clearly tells you that there's a connection between the heart and the physical body. You see, there are a lot of things that affect how you respond and how your body responds to the things that happen in your life that you see other people prosperous in. And if envy is one of those things, you and I tend to clamp up. Our body responds horribly. And many of us actually are sick because we have a proclivity of envy towards someone else. When I observe that most, Ecclesiastes 4.4 says this, when I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors, but this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Solomon understood that many people pursue success because they're envious of what others have. Now, does that mean that if you're successful, that means you're envious? No. What we're saying here is success many times is the reason people are pursuing that because they're envious of what others have that they don't currently have. And I'm really going to run through this last part. I don't want to rush through it, but I, don't, I know we're out of time today. 
Actually, we're going to stop here. We're going to finish this next week because I really did not realize how quickly the time was going to go this morning. The cure for the sin of envy and jealousy is to find our contentment in God. The cure for the sin of envy and jealousy is to find our contentment in God. You want to live a better life? You want to live a more loving life? Stop paying attention to other people. Stop. They're not going to get you anywhere you need to go. And that's really one of the reasons why we sometimes think we're doing, we're we're being God-honoring and God-loving by desiring the better things that God has for other people when really we're desiring better things for ourselves. Have you ever seen anybody that's envious that has been in horrible health because of what they pursued out of envy? Have you ever seen people like that? Have you ever seen people work the crazy hours because they're sick and tired of not having what someone else has? Maybe some of us have been in that situation. The reality is the only contentment you're going to find is Christ himself. You're not going to find it in pursuing that thing that you want. And if I was to say what you should be envious of as a pastor, you should be envious of someone's walk with God. That's what you should be envying. Not the stuff they have in applying the word of God. Does that make sense? Like God can bless somebody that's doing his word because Proverbs promises that. But you shouldn't be envying what he's blessed them with. You should be envying the walk they have. And with that, I'm going to close this morning. Like I said, we're out of time. I'm very sorry, guys. I did not expect to to be as long as I was on these. We're going to finish this section up next week. Let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder that we have this morning of what love looks like. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that we see clearly found in Scripture to be kind, to be patient with others, to not envy or be jealous of what others may have. Father, we know that all the things that you give us come from you. And the things that we sometimes strive for in others' lives really is not a heart of love because jealousy is not something that love is exemplified by. Father, we ask that you would help us to be consistent in our walk with you, that we would live faithfully before you, and that we would be jealous, if you will, of the right things, which would be a walk with you that others may have. We ask this all in Jesus' name. You're dismissed.